Amen. Well, we invite our children now, ages kindergarten, kindergarten to second grade, to be dismissed to Children's Church if they'd like. And with the rest of you, open up your Bibles. Open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 636. Proverbs 12:18, page 636. <clears throat> Last Sunday evening, we had our uh, monthly all-church prayer service, and had a great time, a good turnout, and um, really good time of prayer. But uh, one of the guys on our staff, Phil Kane, who's our director of ministry support, he brought a message for us, and he shared a little bit from the scriptures. And um, some of you may know that before Phil came on our staff as our operations director, uh, he had worked in the private sector in uh, environmental cleanup and that kind of thing. He was actually a field chemist. So he would go out into these <clears throat> places with chemicals that needed to be cleaned up and you know, put on the rubber gloves and sometimes the hazmat suit and clean up all these deadly kinds of chemicals. And what was interesting, and in, in the reason I share this story, is he, uh, he told an illustration about how easy it was to become complacent with those chemicals after a while. He said, you know, at first you're really scared of them and this is dangerous stuff, but after a while, you know, you're handling VX and you're handling uh, cyanide. <clears throat> he said, you ever seen the chemical in the movie where the assassin wipes a little bit of the chemical on a doorknob and then the, the target comes one day and turns the handle and then suddenly just goes kunk. He said, that chemical's real and I've handled it. And, but, but anyway, he says, after a while you become complacent. After you've handled cyanide 50 times... You know, what's the 51st time, first time? So he would, you know, get it out and be like, oh, we've got some cyanide here, and toss it to his partner, and the partner would catch it and put it in a box. And, you know, just what a, uh, what a great illustration of how we become complacent and thoughtless with things that are very powerful. And that's really, uh, and I share that with you because that's really what we're talking about with our language and our speech in Proverbs. That the words we speak, the things that come out of our mouths, are powerful. And yet we can be so complacent and so thoughtless and treat them as if, ah, eh, it's no big deal, I'm, I'm just talking, I'm just speaking my mind. But words are powerful. That's what we've been studying in Proverbs. Uh, for those of you, if this is your first Sunday here, uh, we are in a sermon series in Proverbs. And in the last couple weeks, we've been looking at what the Proverbs have to say about the way we use our words. And this is one of the themes we've seen over and over again. It's just, we have to be so careful with what we say and how we say it and to whom we say it. It's, words are so powerful. Uh, that they can bring great damage or when used correctly uh, to glorify God, words can bring great healing. And so that's not to, something to be taken thoughtlessly and recklessly. Or as it says, much more uh, better than I could say it, Proverbs 12:18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So let's look at each half of uh, that two-part proverb. First of all, the negative, that reckless words pierce like a sword. And the basic idea of recklessness, I think at the root of it, is the idea of thoughtlessness. That something that's reckless is something you haven't given a lot of thought to. You just kind of shoot it, go from the hip, you know, no filter. Just whatever I'm feeling, I'm just going to throw it out there. 
And uh, so it's a rash word. It's a, a careless word. It's just kind of letting it fly, running up the flagpole, seeing if anyone salutes, ready, fire, aim. Just kind of let you have it. And, and we, you know, so we do that and people are like, ouch. And we say, hey, I'm just speaking my mind. Well, yeah, but you're hurting people with how you're just speaking your mind. Uh, you have to be careful. We have to be thoughtful. The words pierce like a sword. You know, you've heard the old one, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> you know? If you hurt me with a stick, I'll heal in a week. But words may last for years. You know, words, I think, are far more powerful in, in many ways. And so they can really, uh, as it says here, pierce like a sword. Have you ever felt pierced by a word? Or I was thinking um, sort of a modern analogy, since we don't really use swords today, is uh, gun safety. Uh, some of you are hunters. Some of you grew up hunting or you had guns in the house. and So you had to learn gun safety. You know, what's the first rule of gun safety? Never point a gun at anyone. Uh, you know, what's the second rule of gun safety? Never point a gun at anyone. But it's just a BB gun. Never point a gun at anyone. But it's not loaded. Never point a gun at anyone. That's what you hammer into little kids when you're teaching them how to use their little, you know, one cock BB guns. Like, you just have to be so careful. When you're holding a firearm, you, even when you're out hunting, you always have to be aware of where that thing is pointed. You can't stand there talking to your friends, you know, waving the gun around. It's like, get out of here. We have gun safety, we have gun control, we have gun locks, but oh, if we had a trigger lock for our mouths. How often we shoot off our mouths and blow holes in people and, and we're not safe and careful with what we say. And yet our words can pierce like a sword, they can penetrate like a gunshot and the healing can take much longer than even a physical gunshot could take. <clears throat> Think with me about some of the ways that words pierce, reckless words, thoughtless words pierce like a sword. There's a number of examples. I'm sure we can multiply them. But let me just look at three examples in Proverbs of the ways reckless words pierce like a sword. One, if you turn to Proverbs chapter 26, is um, joking. Joking around that becomes cutting and negative. That was convicting for me because I like to goof around. I, you know, I love laughing. Anyone knows me knows that, you know, you know you're my friend when I start teasing you. That's when I feel comfortable with people. It's when I start tweaking them and goading them a little bit. So, you know, and there's, there's some place for that. And yet, joking can eventually cross the line. And I can't exactly say where that line is, but you kind of know when you've crossed it. From sort of good-natured humor to something that's a little more destructive. So we have in Proverbs 26:18, Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. I can't, don't you have a sense of humor? I'm just kidding. Like, well, yeah, I have a sense of humor. And it was funny once. But, you know, the 15th time, it's just stopped being funny. And, and that's easy because I think it's easy to get carried away with humor. Humor is a gift from God. Laughter is a gift from God. But like every gift from God, it can be abused, twisted, distorted. And, and so humor can be too. And somehow you cross that line from being funny and joshing around and even some good-natured poking fun to where it really becomes destructive and cutting and, and something happens. And even then you can say, well, I'm just joking. Get a sense of humor. Well, it's not funny. This is kind of a light example, I think, of a way a reckless word can hurt someone. Because the thing about humor is you start becoming thoughtless. Like that's the power of humor is it lowers defenses and it makes you just kind of go with it. 
and you laugh at things that maybe you wouldn't normally laugh at if someone just said it directly to you. But when it's put in the, in the power of humor, you laugh. And so it, you become thoughtless about what you're hearing and it's just easy to get carried away with it. Um, or let me give you a second example. Uh, this is a little more uh, direct. Is Proverbs chapter 11. Verse 12. Another example of cutting words are insults. Just putting someone down. Calling them names. Mocking someone directly. Proverbs 11.12 A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor. But a man of understanding holds his tongue. So derision. Just directly insulting people. Uh, you know, uh, tearing someone down. Some of you are, are in schools and you sit around at certain lunch tables and you know what everyone talks about at that lunch table is all the other kids who aren't at the table. And it's like, oh, that kid, he's such a this and that. and you know. Rah, 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 rah. Some of us are in offices where not much has changed since junior high. <laughs> and we stand around the water cooler or wherever in the break room and that's what all the talk is about. Us. And you see, and it's tearing people down. You know, what if the person was standing right there and listening in on it? Would we say the things that we're saying? It's easy to, to fall into uh, sort of a group activity of tearing someone down and insulting them. Uh, and, and those insults hurt, you know? Uh, some of us have been insulted uh, growing up. We, we lived in uh, homes where people were very cutting and very uh, harsh in the things they said to one another. And, you know, that stuff just sticks with you. It just it doesn't go off. It, it sticks to your, your soul and to your sense of who you are. I remember a time where um, I insulted somebody. I had a, a friend in college, a uh, brilliant guy. He's at the University of Chicago right now working on a Ph.D. in ancient Hebrew languages. I mean, you know, just all kind of, he's reading Akkadian and Ugaritic and all these old languages and he's an expert in Hebrew. But, uh, but he was the classic absent-minded professor. Like, so smart that he couldn't find his wallet. And he would really walk around the apartment a lot looking for keys. And, ah, where's my wallet? And he, he didn't know where things were, and he was always kind of lost. Uh, and, and I remember one day he was in a tirade about not being able to find something, and he stormed out of the apartment. And we just started laughing. We were like, oh. You know, you see this, this act go on so many times. You just can't, you have to laugh. And it was funny. And we started joking about him. And then I sensed that I had an audience. I said, oh, these people are laughing. Well, <laughs> and so I started taking the lead in the mocking. And it became more and more pointed and more and more insulting. And, and, and you know, just it had an edge to it. And it got more laughs. So I, you know, took it to the next level. And you get carried away, not thinking. And so, you know, we're all laughing. And pretty soon I have the whole crowd going. And then the door opens. And he goes, hey, guys, I was standing outside the whole time. Thank you very much. And he shut the door and walked out again. And I was just like, oh, what's wrong with me? I'm at Wheaton College. I'm a Bible major. And what's coming out of my mouth but insults? And you know, I, I apologize to him. We're fine today. I was on the phone with him a month or so ago. You know, we have a great relationship today. But still, I, I just feel ashamed when I remember that. And I, just, I still feel guilty at times, thinking like, why did I do that? How, how do you get there where you just get carried away, not thinking, and you start saying things like that. Or yet another example, a third example of reckless words that pierce. We have humor that gets out of control. We have derision and insults. And then if you look at uh, chapter 
15, verse 1. Here's a third example. This is a fantastic proverb for conflict management. How to defuse a fight. Proverbs 15.1 A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's a third kind of reckless word, is a harsh word. Uh, you, you know, what, Probably the time we're the most reckless with our speech is when we're mad. That's when, the easiest, that's when it's the easiest to feel justified in letting someone have it. It's like, I'm hurt, I'm offended, I can't believe you said that to me, so, well, guess what? You know, here comes my flamethrower. And I'm just going to rocket launch you right, right there. Boom! Hit you with this. And it's a moment when it's easy to just let loose. When you're feeling offended and hurt, and when the temperature in the room, so to speak, is going up and the, the tension is increasing, there's a moment of choice. Do I become thoughtful and intentional and purposeful with my words and intentionally speak a calm word that is going to soothe the situation? Or am I just going to say, fine, that's how you want to play? Well, blah, and fire back with a harsh word. And harsh words, they just, they cause that reaction. And they bring a harsh reaction back and then we come and it escalates. And it gets out of control. And the next thing you know, we've said all these things to hurt people. And, and then afterwards you're, you're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But you know what? The words were said. The words are remembered. And even though you forgive, they're still there. And they pierce like a sword. And like, if you use that analogy of a sword wound or a stab, it just takes time to heal. It's not going to go all better all at once. So we have to be so careful. Some of us have harsh exteriors. That's kind of our shtick. That's our MO. We just sort of have this, you know, I'm tough. I don't know if it's like I'm a tough New Englander or I'm a tough this person or whatever. You know, I was in the military or I'm... And we, some of us, we just adopt this kind of kind of exterior at times. And it hurts people. We, we steamroll over people we don't notice it. You know? I think sometimes relationships and marriages are hurt by harshness, by angry, uh, gruff sort of interaction with each other. You, you know, you, you have the situation of maybe a marriage that, that's been in existence for an, a decade or a number of years or something. And then... And then it, it starts uh, sputtering out and it starts having trouble. And there hasn't been an infidelity and the person isn't necessarily an alcoholic. And you're like, what's wrong? What happened to that relationship? But you know, harshness just accrues over time. And, and so you have a fight and you're, you're harsh and cruel to each other and you say things. Then afterwards, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay. But then the next day, the same thing. And, and after you start saying, I'm sorry for like the 526th time, you could mean it, but it, it's just not as effective. And, and so the marriage, it, it's just start, the fire starts going out, but it's kind of died the death of a thousand sword thrusts, a thousand mosquito bites. You're like, what happened? The fire's gone out. Did I marry the wrong person? Was that not my soulmate? Yeah, you married the right person. But the, the relationship was just ground down over lots of harsh words over years building up. Maybe some of us look back at our lives and we see a, a string of broken relationships. There's a trail of bodies behind us where we've been. And, you know, we can look back and say, well, that was that person's fault there and I had an excuse here. But maybe the reason is we, we don't know how to love people and we use harsh words that have pierced like a sword. Reckless words pierce like a sword. But, 
The tongue of the wise brings healing, as it says in Proverbs 12.18. And so just as our words have the power to destroy and crush and sever, so our words, when used under the Lordship of Jesus, have a similar kind of power to heal and to build up and to bring wholeness where there was brokenness. Words are so powerful. And so we have to submit even our speech to the Lordship of Jesus. You know, this is what it means to be a Christian. Is that we surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus. We say, God, you're God and I'm not. And so I submit myself to you. I'm going to stop playing God. and I'm, You're going to be God and I'm going to worship and love you. But that means my whole life is His. My money is His. My thoughts are His. My time is His. And my words are His. And I need to submit, and it's a continual process, submitting my, my speech to God's authority and to His will. Uh, and when we do that, we can become that conduit of life and healing by His power. We talked about that last Sunday, if you were here. We looked at, uh, in the Proverbs, how um, the, the wise and their teaching you become a fountain of life to others. And so we're kind of just carrying on that same theme. Instead of teaching, we're looking at different ways that we can breathe life into one another. So let's think together on the positive side. What are some of the ways that God would call us to uh, heal and give life through our words rather than to pierce and be reckless through the intentionality of uh, Holy Spirit-guided words? And let me, we thought of three negative examples. Let's think of three positive examples. And to help you remember them, I, I came up with a little acrostic. E-A-R, ear. And the E stands for something, the A stands for something. And the R stands for something. I don't know why we preachers feel the need to do this, but we do. We, we, we make up cool words and we think it's clever. So, you know, humor me. So E, the E stands for encouragement. And by encouragement, what I mean is an uplifting word to a person who is despairing, depressed, discouraged, dislocated. They're down and out. And so a word of encouragement is to come to that person who just feels like they have nothing left and speak a word to lift them up so that they don't get snuffed out. Uh, look with me at Matthew chapter 12. A text on healing, in this case the healing ministry of Jesus, but we're called to have a healing ministry with our words and so I think there's something to learn here about encouragement. Look at Matthew chapter 12, it's on page uh, 967. So in this story, just to give you a little background, this story of Jesus and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, have decided to put a contract on his head. They want to rub him out. They want him dead. They're going to figure out how to kill him. So verse 15 of chapter 12. Aware of this, aware of this plot, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. Now you read that and you say, what kind of Messiah is that? He's running away from a fight. He's healing the sick, you know, and he's telling them not to say who he is. If he's really the Messiah, he ought to be out there facing his enemies and, and throwing them down. He should be the conqueror on the white horse with the sword. But instead we have this kind of like wimpy, secretive sort of Messiah. And it might lead someone to say, well, Jesus can't be the Messiah if he behaves like that. Well, Matthew says, no, 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 he really is a Messiah because look, his behavior fulfills messianic prophecy. And then he quotes from Isaiah in verse 18. Here's the Isaiah prophecy. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Then notice the gentleness. He will not quarrel or cry out. 
No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Isn't that just a beautiful image of the gentle spirit of Christ? The King of kings and Lord of lords, but a bruised reed he will not break in a smoldering wick. Obviously that was talking in this context about the physical healing ministry of Jesus. But I think it shows his spirit. And as we follow Christ in a, a ministry of healing with our mouths, we need to have that same attitude. Um, I love the image of a smoldering wick. It's like this candle and it's got a little wick and at the very top of the wick is a tiny little red dot. There's just a little ember left. And there's a little wisp of smoke coming up from that ember. And almost anything would snuff it out. That's such a great image of what it feels like to be depressed or to be discouraged. Like, I can't handle one more thing. If the wind blows on me the wrong way, I'm done. I can't handle one more thing. Have you ever felt like that? I can't handle one. I can't even handle what I have now. But one more thing, and I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. And when we find someone who is a smoldering wick, it's an opportunity to come around it like Jesus and you know, kind of put your hands around it and just gently start blowing a little bit of life back into that smoldering wick. See, I think what happens is when we meet people in life, friends or whoever, who come into our lives and they're a smoldering wick or a bruised reed, you know, our temptation is to go, whoa, big problems. I don't know what to do with that. I'm not qualified. You know, I'm not, I don't have a counseling degree. I'm not a pastor. I don't, you know, so I'm going to let a professional handle that because I don't know what to say. I'm going to say the wrong thing. I don't know what to say. I'm going to mess it up. And so we sort of withdraw from those sort of people. And I think a lot of times we're just paralyzed with a sense of fear. We don't know what to do. And I just want to tell you, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're qualified. Doesn't mean you're qualified, you know, it doesn't mean you're a therapist or a psychotherapist or a pastor, but that's not the only people who can give help. If you have the Holy Spirit, you're qualified to speak a word of encouragement to somebody. You know, you don't have to say a lot. You know, don't use a lot of wind. You might blow it out. Just say a little bit. I found that that sometimes my most effective pastoral counseling times are the ones where I just have the sense to keep my mouth shut. And I listen. And then at the end of it, I say a few words and then I pray. And sometimes just the simple praying for someone who's in need is all they needed. They, they just needed someone to kind of put their hands around them and not say anything so that the candle can reignite and, and to say, whisper a gentle prayer. And it's amazing how God uses the gentleness of an encouraging word to bring someone back. And we're all called to that ministry. You know, uh, Pastor Seth is great at that. If you're a smoldering wick, what a gift he has with smoldering wicks. And we have a Stephen ministry in our church of people who are committed to that. But I'm going to tell you something. If we're going to be a church where smoldering wicks are reignited and bruised reeds are healed, it's going to take a lot more than Pastor Seth visiting you or the Stephen ministry visiting you. We as a whole church have to adopt that kind of care for people. There has to be something that's in all of us that when we see someone that we know that God's put in our life, we take the courage to say, even though I feel totally out of my comfort zone, I'm going to step in and speak that word of encouragement. Maybe this morning you can think of someone right now who needs a word of encouragement in that way. And I would just encourage you, don't be timid. Don't feel unempowered. You have the Holy Spirit. You have Christ. You have the Word of God. You have every resource you need to be His conduit of encouragement in someone's life who is a smoldering wick. 
So the E is encouragement. The A is affirmation. And let me be clear by telling you what I don't mean by affirmation. I don't mean the kind of corny, Saturday Night Live, pop psychology kind of thing where, you know, the the guy stands in the mirror and affirms himself in the morning like, I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and I can be successful. I'm an overcomer. I can achieve my dreams. You know, it's not just bombarding yourself with corny affirmation messages to like put a bike pump into your self-esteem and pump it up, you know, and it leaks all day and you pump it up again. I mean, that's not what we're talking about by affirmation. Okay, by affirmation, I mean something very God-centered. What I mean is seeing the work of God in someone else's life and mentioning it to them and saying, you know what, I saw God. When you did that, I, I felt like God was using you. You know, I think God's given you a gift here. And so it's not, it's not about egos and flattery or man-centeredness. It's about glorifying the work that God is really doing in people's lives. You know, we say that God transforms lives, but do we really look for Him actually doing things in lives? The Holy Spirit, you know, is invisible. You know, you can't see the wind, Jesus said, but you see the effects of the wind. You don't know where it blows, but you see its effects, and its effects are in our lives. And when we see the Holy Spirit working in one another's lives, we need to affirm that and say, hey, I saw God in your life. I saw you, He was doing something. And those are amazing moments of affirming gifts. Uh, look at, for an example of this, Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. I was thinking on 1 Timothy 4. It's on page 1176. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, Timothy was the Apostle Paul's protege. And so 1 Timothy is a personal letter from Paul to his protege encouraging him in pastoral ministry. So he's mentoring, he's coaching him in how to do this ministry. And look what he says in 1 Timothy 4 verse 12. Paul says to his young understudy, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So what is he saying to Timothy? Man, you have a gift. I don't care how old you are. You have a gift. Use your gift. Preach, teach. Remember, there was even a prophecy when they laid hands on you. You have a really amazing gift, Timothy. So use your gift. I'm affirming your gift. Fan it into flame. Don't let it die out. And so in the same way, when we see gifts in one another, we need to affirm and encourage those things. Um, One of the things I've been thinking about recently is uh, where our church is going from here. I just finished 10 years as senior pastor here. And it's been fun to look back on that and to see all the things God's done. The, the way God, I think in the last 10 years, has just rebuilt and strengthened this church in so many ways. Uh, he, he's rebuilt us, I think, from His Word as the worship ministry and the teaching ministry and the children's ministry has been more and more grounded in His Word. The church has been built up. And I don't just mean numerically in terms of attendance, but I think it's spiritual level. We've been deepened as a congregation. And so what I'm asking myself now is I'm looking ahead at the next ten years here, if God would give me ten more years, and I'm saying, okay, God, what are we going to do with that? What's, what's next for our church? And I, mean, I don't know. Who knows? God is sovereign. You can't guess what God is going to do. But I can tell you what's on my heart. My heart is that, that we would begin to move to having a more regional influence as a church. We would start looking at the South Shore more and saying, how do we use what God's given us 
to bless others. You know, if you've ever been blessed with anything in your life, the reason you've been blessed with it is to be a blessing to others. If you have a gift, if you have finances, if you have abilities, if you have a vacation, you know, condo in New Hampshire, whatever you have, like find some way to give it back to God and say, God, I want to be a blessing of what you've blessed me with in some way. And he'll show you how to do it. And so I feel like if he's blessed our church, the purpose is not so we can go, wow, look at our church, it's blessed. No, it's to bless other churches. And so I'm thinking, like, how do we do that? Maybe you have ideas. Uh, I'm thinking about church planting. We've got to start planting new churches, whether we build an addition here or not. Uh, we need to encourage other pastors and churches in the area. We need to find ways to strengthen other Bible teaching churches and encourage and partner with them. And then the third thing, and this is how I get around to the affirmation topic, I'm like, well, what if we had... Uh, an internship program here. Like, what if we bought a building next to the church and we had four, five, six young men who were thinking about pastoral ministry and maybe they were here around six-month terms or nine-month terms. I mean, who cares? Whatever. However the program's structured. But we had young people coming through here and we as a church could affirm their gifts. And we could say, wow, I really see a gift of teaching in you or you really have a gift of service or whatever and start helping shape. So it's not like guys get become Christians in college and then go straight from a college ministry to seminary trying to figure out what their calling is. But instead, the church steps in and says, we're here to affirm your gifts in some way. Or maybe to tell a guy, you know, I, I don't think this is it. That's a blessing to the church. It's a blessing to the guy. It saves him a lot of headache to say, you know, you've got a great heart, but I really don't think this is where you're supposed to be. That saves that guy and it saves the church a lot of headache down the road. So we can affirm gifting in one another. And so let me ask you, do you know someone who needs encouragement? Let me ask you a second question. Do you know someone who needs affirmation? Have you seen God at work in someone's life in this church? How encouraging would it be this week if you send an email to somebody saying, hey, I saw God at work in you here, there, and the other place, and just affirm the work of God? And then the third one, E is encouragement, A is affirmation, and the R, this may sound surprising, is rebuke. And maybe that doesn't sound right at first, like rebuke, I, mean, I thought we were on the positive side. I thought we left all the piercing stuff. But rebuke is piercing. I mean, we're, we're in happy land now. We left that other stuff behind. Uh, but, you know, a rebuke is part of what we're called to do. A rebuke can be a very encouraging, upbuilding kind of thing. In fact, uh, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here's Paul writing to Timothy again. And he's again hammering away on Timothy to use his gifts. He's affirming him. But look what he tells him to do, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. He says, preach the Word. There's that hammering away at the gifts. Be prepared in season and out of season, 1 Timothy 4, 2. Here we go. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Wait a minute. Am I supposed to be encouraging people or rebuking people? Like, yes. This is all part of healing speech. So let me tell you what I mean by rebuke. Or let me tell you what I don't mean. A rebuke is not letting someone have it. That's not a rebuke. A rebuke is not, I'm going to read you the riot act. I had a lot of things in my mind and I'm going to sit down and tell you. <laughs> that's not a rebuke. That's, that's just destroying people with our words. A rebuke is a very loving, intentional, purposeful challenge to somebody because you see something in their life that perhaps is sin or something like that and you love them and you have a relationship with them and, and the purpose is to help remove that so the person can grow in Christ. So it's a very specific, intentional kind of thing. Um, you know, it's, think of the healing analogy again, right? We're talking about healing. Surgery. It's like surgery. 
You're going for surgery. And uh, does, does the surgeon pierce? Yes. But it's not like a sword. It's not like a hacking or a chopping. It's, it's a very intentional incision of a very specified length in a very particular part of your body with the goal of being able to open up the body to take out the tumor or the cyst or to sew together the tendon or to heal the rotator cuff or whatever it is that's being worked on in there. And then it's sewed up and it's done in a very sterile environment. And so that's what a rebuke is. It's a very loving, purposeful, healing-oriented word that's spoken between two people. And it's got to be done so carefully. Just like a surgeon, you know, before they do surgery, what do they do? Scrub. Scrub. And they keep... It's not like wash your hands and you're done. I mean, they scrub and they scrub. We've got to be ready before you do a rebuke. You know, Jesus said, uh, don't look at the speck in your brother's eye and ignore the log in your own eye. First, remove the speck from the log from your own eye, then you'll see the speck in your brother's eye. And so we've got to just take a Holy Spirit shower and be like, Jesus, like, show me if my attitude is right in this because I think I'm so susceptible to getting full of myself. And, and check in with another person. Do you think I should do this? Yeah, you should, or no, you shouldn't. And then, after all that, then make the small incision. Hey, can we have coffee? I, I, look, I have to talk to you about something. This is really hard. But would it be okay if I just talk about something hard with you? Most people will say, um, okay. <laughs> then just say it. And God will use it. Maybe there's someone you need to rebuke. Is there someone you need to encourage? Is there someone you need to affirm? Is there someone you need to rebuke? Some of us are passive peacemakers. And we don't want to ruffle any feathers. And so rebuking is really hard. And we need to do it. Some of us like to straighten people out. And we need to calm down a little and be more gentle. But whatever, we need to learn the godly art of rebuke, which is throughout the Scriptures encouraged. And really, these two things go together. Encouragement and rebuke. The, the piercing healing word and the encouraging affirmation, they really aren't that separate. You know how I know is because they're both present in the Gospel message. That if we faithfully preach the gospel, there will be a word of rebuke and a word of affirmation and encouragement. That they're not separable. That to preach the gospel faithfully, we have to do both. There has to be a word of rebuke. And the word of rebuke is, you're a sinner and you need a Savior. You're not good enough. You're not religious enough. None of us are. And you're under the judgment of God. And I think a lot of times when we share the gospel, we want to just go right over that because that's like uh, uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, we want to go straight to God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You know, we want to go straight to the purpose-driven life. You want purpose? I got purpose. We want to go straight to your best life now, and we want to tell people all of these happy messages. But there is a a message of repentance from sin, and if we skip over that, I'm telling you, we're not sharing the gospel. If we don't tell people you're a sinner in need of a Savior somehow, in some way, you don't have to say those words, but if the message of God's holiness and the need for repentance is not communicated, people will not be saved. If you don't repent from your sins, you cannot go to heaven. You can't. I don't care how religious you become. If a person says, I'm a Christian, but you know, I'm really not that bad. It's like, you're not a Christian. To become a Christian, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent. There has to be a turning away from sin and an acknowledgement of our need. And then put your faith in Christ. And that's the positive. Once we have laid out the need, we can bring in the gospel. And the gospel message is that 
that God has provided where we failed. That God has given a Savior where we have failed in our sins. That yes, I've pierced people with my words. I've hurt others. But you know, there was a Savior who was pierced. And his, his head was pierced by uh, thorns. And his wrists and his feet were pierced. And they took a sword and they pierced him. You know, reckless words pierce like a sword. But on the cross, the word was pierced by a sword. And, and you know, what was happening was all of the recklessness of my life and the carelessness of my life and the consequences I deserve were being visited upon the Savior. He was taking my place. He was taking the, the rebuke and the punishment that I deserve for my sins. And so when I think of those dumb things I said about my roommate in college, you know, I just fall back on the cross. And I say, I have a Savior for all of that in my life, of which there are many more illustrations than time allows. I have a Savior. And so I just want to encourage you to speak the truest word of healing to speak the greatest word of life, which is the Gospel. To not shy away from the hard, but to give both the rebuke of sin and the call to faith in Christ. And I just want to encourage anybody here who is searching for the truth to look to Jesus Christ, to recognize your need of Him, and to recognize that you are, as we sang, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. And until you come to that, you'll never really grasp what this book is all about. But when you see your need, and then you see the cross, it all comes together. And God can heal you of anything, any sin, any guilt. The cross can heal it all. And so God, may God give us the ears to hear His life-giving Word today through His Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, I pray that you would make us a congregation where you rule over us and we are filled with your life and your joy. And God, I pray that our words would be thoughtful and intentional. I pray, Lord, you just help me keep growing in this area so easy to get carried away. Lord, I pray that our words would not be reckless, but that they would be thoughtful, life-giving, healing words. And God, I pray for anyone here today who's searching, that they wonder what the truth is. I just pray, Jesus, they would see you, that it wouldn't be anything that a pastor says to twist their arm, but God, they would see you and believe for themselves because you yourself, Lord, would show your glory to them. And so God, may we be faithful in proclaiming your gospel. May we be faithful in being agents of healing in a broken world through the power of the Spirit and through the power of speaking your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.